0: So I'm on sermon number four. I took a bit of a break last week, but I'm on sermon number four in this series that I call Made for Eternity. And in the first sermon, we talked a little bit about heaven. And in the next sermon, we talked about what the Bible says about hell. Um, And, you know, that's, that's always sort of the interesting thing, right, is what does your Bible say about this stuff? I've had big long discussions I remember sitting in seminary and you know we had all kinds of discussions about the existence of these things um, and uh, there were people that were well there is no hell and there is no you know uh, eternal place of all that you know with all that torment and all that kind of stuff and, and there were people that were like uh, well heaven we're not sure that exists either anyway we had long discussions about all this stuff and I find myself always drawn back to What what does your Bible say? So that's what we're doing. We're just pulling out some scriptures about what the Bible says about heaven, about hell, about the lost. So today we're talking about the lost, as you might have figured out already from Jacqueline's kid's story. Who are the lost? Uh, The next sermon that we'll speak in this series will be the saved, or who are the saved. What does it mean to be saved? But for today, who are the lost? Um, Matthew 18, verse 1 says this. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as his child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have had a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So we're talking first and foremost about our children. You know, I remember years ago, when I first started here that that would have been back in about 19 what would it be about 1995 95 well I was here in 92 for my internship here which was just enough to get me sort of started getting into trouble then I came back 95 and we got at it seriously right and one of the things that they did with me when they called me here as the uh, the junior pastor was they said would you do youth and I said absolutely not and they said well why not they said because they don't train me in youth uh, and I was not the best youth myself and so you're terrifying me when you tell me that I'm supposed to be cool and be in charge all these youth so they said okay you don't have to do youth would you oversee the youth well I guess I could do that from a distance sure and what happened I fell in love with a couple of these youth you know that's one of the things you know people say well how how do you talk to youth I don't know, you talk to them like adults. I mean, you talk to them like they're people, right? So that's sort of what I did. And I remember shortly after that, we began to have, you know, events at the, at the church here and all that kind of stuff. While it wasn't long, in the old church basement over there, somebody got thrown through a wall. You know, you get a couple of guys, you know, and they're wrestling and they're, I don't know, maybe they're trying to impress one of the girls or whatever it is, and boom, the, uh, the, the drywall was not meant for that kind of uh, impact. So, we had whoever was the guy in charge of fixing it, or the group of guys that was in charge of fixing it, come down and fix a wall. Well, shortly after that, another guy went through a wall. And then I think after that, there was a a young lady got involved because, you know, she wanted to tussle as, as well. She went through the wall. Anyway, there were several happenings of going through the wall. And suddenly, we're discussing this council. And we're thinking to ourselves... What do we do? And the thought came up, maybe we just don't let the youth play around in the basement. Or maybe we put stringent uh, restrictions on those youth as to what can be done in that basement. Why? Well, it's too much work fixing the building all the time. Okay, what if we did something else? What if we put up some kind of armor plating on that wall? So if you walk into the old church basement, you'll see... uh, wainscoting, you know, that layer of boards that goes all the way around the wall that hits it at about the four foot mark. We decided as a council and as a ministry leadership team that better to have youth in the building and make the building sort of youth impervious than to not have youth in the building or to be telling everybody, you know, that you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and send in the signal to, their, to our youth that they weren't really welcome. You know, it's funny, actually, the last church I pastored in, it had the same issue. And we had this, there's this big back hallway. And in the hallway, there's about 60 or 70 feet of murals. Maybe more than that, maybe 100 feet of murals. Sorry, 35 meters of murals, right? Um, And every time somebody gets thrown through one of those murals, the same thing came up in the council there. What do we do? They're wrecking the murals, for crying out loud. We put the murals there for the kids, and the kids are wrecking the murals. We decided we would repair the murals. It turned out we had two little old ladies in the church that were pretty good swinging a brush, and every time somebody crashed into the mural, like, you know, the mural was basically a nose arc mural. And so every time the buffalo lost his back end, or the ostrich lost his head, or wherever the hole ended up, our two little old ladies would come out, the boys had patch that wall and they'd be out with their paintbrushes, and they'd repaint that mural and that mural I don't know how many times it's been repainted but I like that I like that Jesus speaks of that when he talks about these children he says you know what unless you're converted (laughs) and become like children you know all you adults out here who here you know as you grow up you got a little cynical you know you overthink stuff You know, you've been betrayed enough times that you're like, I don't know, man. Children, what do children do? You know, as Jacqueline talked about, they get lost, they holler for ma. Children trust, uh, oftentimes. One of the things I learned as a young father was my children wanted to hang out with me. And more than that, when I messed up, my children actually wanted to forgive me. My children wanted relationships. Jesus says, unless you're converted and become as one of these, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He who humbles himself as his child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever re- receives one such child in my name receives me. So, you know, it's funny, eh? Because when we sit here and we think about how do we protect our building from kids, God help us, man, because we would have been protecting our building from Jesus. You get what I'm saying? We would have been restricting Jesus' presence in this building. And the Lord led us and said, no, don't do it, right? Well, he goes on and he says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. In other words, don't look down on them. You know, I think about one of my children who had these very innocent prayers. And at one point we said, you know what? Every time we need something prayed for, we're getting hurt because she just flat out believes in Jesus she's got this innocence to her prayers she says Jesus would you do this and Jesus move would move in our family so get her could you pray for us and we'd have this little girl praying for our family don't despise one of these little ones the kind of childlike faith that some of these little ones have is exactly what 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 is needed for God to move through into our lives He says, I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Okay, so I want you to hear this now, this statement. So he's talking about all these children. He's talking about us becoming children. Um, And and as we look at uh, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 says something about children. It says that children, even children, are born spiritually dead. They're born in that place of separation from God. It says when sin came into the world, it says sin touched everybody. First and foremost, it touched Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did a deliberate sin. They had been told, do not do this. The devil came and tempted them and said, if you do this, you can break away from God, you can be your own God. Make sense? So they thought that was was good and they did it. They did that deliberate sin. And then Paul in Romans 5, he says, and that sin spread to everybody. It affected everybody. You know, it's sort of like you got a computer network. And some guy on the network is doing stupid things, right? He's out on the internet, and he's looking at stuff he shouldn't be looking at, and suddenly there's a download, boom, and it spreads to every computer in the network. And you wonder why. Only one guy was responsible. Only one guy did the deliberate sin. But everybody was affected by it. It's actually the same thing in families. You know, I think about a friend of mine who got divorced um, and was um, in in the process of her divorce. She didn't think it would affect her family. It destroyed her children. It destroyed her extended family. The grief and the hurt and the pain. And as she looked back on it, she said, I didn't realize that my actions would have such impact. When you're a parent and when when you make choices, The ripple effect of your choices can be insane. It's the same thing with us. You know, as as sin came into the world, Paul says, even the people that did not do the sin in the likeness of Adam, even those who did not do that deliberate sin, they were affected by that sin. And so you have these children. And I always say, you know, we're not born bad. We're actually, according to Paul, we're born dead dead in our sin. When you think about a child as a child innocent, well, they're cute. But Paul says they're actually born affected by sin. There's no magic day when they're suddenly 13 and they become little terrors or something like that. But what happens is they begin to reflect the separateness from God. But God in His love seeks them out. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. And this statement is made in the context of Of these children that he says we are to become like. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know, think about us, right? Like our daughter gets lost. And suddenly all the focus, I mean all the focus in our family is on the one daughter. Do we not care about the other ones? Yep, totally care about the other ones. But they're not the one in trouble right now. All the focus is on the one that is missing. And we sought her and we found her by God's grace and we rejoiced over her I remember that same daughter one day she was young and she walked out the back door she was toddler sized walked out the back door in our new house and she wandered it was minus 30 out we didn't notice and I remember walking down the hallway and past the front door and I heard this little tapping on the front door little tapping And I went, what is that? I went to the front door. I opened it. There's my daughter standing out 30 below. And I was, just cold, I was just shaking. Like I'm going like, thank you, Lord, that I heard that. That could have been very bad. Suddenly all the focus was on this daughter, right? This is the heart of God. It is not the Father's will that anyone would be lost. So, you know, that becomes important to understand because as we talk about the lost... We always speak with grief. We always speak understanding that the heart of God, as Jesus said, is to come and to seek and to save the lost. God's not angry at the lost. God is not fed up with the lost. God is not done with the lost. God is not going like, you did this, fine, you can go to hell. God seeks to save the lost. And it's a relational thing. He calls him into relationship well so today we look at the lost who are they the lost are those people who are not in relationship with christ that's the lost just like when my daughter was out gone and she's not in immediate relationship with us she was lost for a time and we felt that lack just like god feels the lack the missing ones Knowing Christ means to participate in a relationship with Him, and the lost are not in that participation. They're not in that relationship. Knowing Christ does not mean belonging to a church. Church came later, interestingly enough, you know, back in the early days with Jesus. um, As Jesus died, was resurrected, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out. How did church develop? Church developed simply because... uh, Everybody was fascinated. They wanted to get together, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And God began to add people. He began to bring in the lost into that relationship. Well, where are the lost to be found? Everywhere. Neighbors. People in traffic. People at work. People at church. I think about, you know, we do uh, our ministry back in Saskatoon we use donated facilities from local church um, and we do prayer ministry in those facilities and we've used the same facilities for I'm gonna say about 12 years and over those 12 years I swear to you 300 people who got saved have come to personal faith in Jesus in those rooms in the back of that church and a bucket load of them were church attending people do you know Jesus And they would respond, well, I don't know. Well, that's sort of asking, do you know your mother? I don't know. Your mother's looking at you going, well, the things you learn, right? Do you know him? I don't know. One guy looks at me. He goes, well, I'm Anglican. What does that mean? (laughs) I'm Anglican. I'm trained in the Anglican religious system. Do you know him? Do you believe And that man came to know Christ. Sometimes that question needs to be asked. Do you know him? The lost are everywhere. There are people beside you. And as Jacqueline so beautifully put here, many of them don't even know that they're lost. They're busy focused on life and trying to cope with life. But they are lost. Each one of us here knows lost people. Well, how are the lost described in Scripture? Matthew fifteen seven uh, describes those lost sheep. It says they are helpless and they are at the mercy of predators when they're out uh, on their own. 1 Peter 5, 8 says Satan is a predator and it says he seeks opportunity to do uh, destruction, to consume those whom God loves. Well, Luke 15 gives us the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was lost from his father. In his rebellion, he walked into his dad's office one day and he said, "Dad, I want you dead and I want my money. I want my I want my inheritance." I don't know too many fathers here that would agree with that. Would be willing to hand it over that quick. My dad would be going like, "Yeah, well, you're waiting for me to kick the bucket first, right?" This old, this father, he liquidated half the assets, handed it to him. And the best I can think is that this father basically understood that this son had to get his, his wild oats out of his system. And so he facilitated it by giving him the money. <laughs> the kid takes himself away to a far land and blows everything. And it says he was considered dead. The son took himself out of the family, took himself away, abandoned his heritage and at the end when he came back and the father was describing the joy of his son returning he was talking to his other son who was ticked off that the kid showed up and was welcomed, right? And and the father's going, but you don't understand this is my son that was dead to me and now he's alive that's the image that we have in scripture of the lost people that are spiritually dead people that were a part of the family that have been taken out of the family that are spiritually dead and God is seeking them and God is filled with joy like the father when they return to life a life that he gives well Matthew 25 says that the lost are the accursed ones He's speaking of a people with false religion who depend on what they do to get to heaven rather than simple faith in Christ. The accursed ones. That sounds sort of, sort of weird. It's mean it means, again, you know, oftentimes the images of God going, you accursed one? You know, I'm going like, no, no, that's not the image really. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it says they came under the curse. The curse of what? The curse of being removed from the blessings of God. When you're out of God's presence, the curse is simply the absence of God. The curse is simply now you have to do everything on your own. And so the word was spoken over Adam. You will now till the field by the sweat of your brow. Who here knows what it means to earn your money by the sweat of your brow? By the sweat of your brow, it won't come easy anymore. Why? Because you've got God out of your life. It means that these live under the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? The curse of the law is guilt. How many of us live under guilt? We're not supposed to be living under guilt, folks. Guilt. Jesus took our guilt on the cross. He's forgiven us. And sometimes it seems so logical. I did this, I did this, I did this. I should be carrying this guilt. And Jesus says, no, give it to me. That's what I came for. That's why it's so amazing to become like a little child, right? Because my dad, what did my dad do? My dad carried me everywhere, man. You know, when I needed help, my dad was there. Okay, he did hit me in the head with a golf ball one time. But other than that, he did pretty good, you know. And the golf ball was accidental. Anyway, maybe that's why I am the way I am. We are not to be living under the curse of the law, but the lost live there. They are guilt-ridden and they are not free. Romans 3:23 says, "All who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, these are the lost." That means all of us at one point in time were lost. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is to be in His family and to be free in that place. Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God. It says God demonstrated His love for us. That while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. Romans 9.3 again calls them the accursed. Romans twenty one eight says those who refuse to put their trust in God, who worship their sin, you know this has been an interesting one for me. You know it says uh, you know but for the the unbelieving, for the unbelieving, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This describes in harsh terms those who live for themselves, like the prodigal son. These are the lost. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the reasons why this image is shared with us is so that we can look at people who act like idiots. Who here knows an idiot? People that are really hard to be around, people that are selfish, uh, people that we don't want to deal with, people that are like users. And yet I remember talking with a friend of mine down in Argentina one time. And he said, you know what you need to remember? He says, you need to remember that the person you're talking about could be lost. And this could be where they're on their way to. And you know, I think about that. I think about, you know, if there was a car out here rolled over that was on fire, you know, and, and one of these idiots was in it, right? What would I do? Yeah, you know, maybe I won't bother jumping over there to help. Are you kidding me? The fact of the emergency that he was in would wipe all of that out of my mind, and I would, I would drag him out. I would try. And that's what this image is meant for us. It's actually meant to motivate us. There are people that are lost, that are on their way to eternal separation from God. It's called the second death. Romans 22, 14 uh, to 15 says, Those dedicated to this, their sin are the lost. In a sense, they worship their sin. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they will have the right to the tree of life, and may enter the city by the gates what what are the robes we wash it's us what do we wash our robes in the image that we have is we wash our robes in the blood of Jesus why do I wear this robe here you know in some areas of the church this is considered sort of the badge of office for a pastor you know what that's not the way it started out in the early days when you gave your life to Christ and you were going to be baptized you didn't wear this you wore a white robe around. It was the image of being having your life hidden in Christ. And you were covered with his righteousness. <laughs> and there were places and times where only those who were really serious about getting baptized could wear this. Because you'd be persecuted for it. Everybody would go, there's that guy. Another one of those Christian converts. Let's get this guy. And you would wear that robe until your baptism. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they will have the right to the tree of life. And they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs. Okay, now listen to this. Now we're talking about the lost here. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Okay, who here has been a dog? Well, okay, let me, let's let go on to the next one here. Um, who here has been a sorcerer? Witchcraft? Who here has been sexually immoral? Okay? Who here is murderer? Ooh, interesting. Jesus said if you murder someone, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. I remember one guy talking about, he says, once you start to hate someone, he says, the only thing missing now is the opportunity to to finish it off. Same thing, actually, with the sexually immoral. Jesus says, if you lust after someone in your heart, you have as good as done it in a flesh. You become an immoral person. Who's the idolater? Who here has been an idolater? You've worshipped something. Luther talked about how, what is an idol? It's the thing that we go to for our strength. What is it that you go to for your strength? Your money? Drugs, booze, all that kind of stuff. Sex, all that kind of stuff. Control, things, materialism. What is it that you go to for your strength? I mean, you can find out, uh, you know, um, when you get in hard times, you begin to lose your control on certain things. You find out what your idols are. And everyone who loves and practices lying I want you to emphasize those words. See, there's a difference between someone who loves and practices his sin and someone who struggles with sin. Who here struggled with sexual immorality? I have. Who here struggled with lying? I have. Who here struggled with murder? Well, I've hated people. Yeah, I have. Who here struggled with. You get what I'm saying? He's not saying that everybody who struggles with some of these things or has fallen into these things is going to hell. But he is saying that those who have dedicated their lives to their sin and those people are out there, that they are lost. So remember, there's a difference between those who dedicate their lives to their their sin and those who simply stumble and struggle. The reality the scripture speaks of is that the lost are doomed. They're doomed to an eternity of lostness. They're doomed to an eternity of loneliness. They're doomed to an eternity of despair and torment. Their end is the lake of fire and of eternal separation from God. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus was approached and said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. That you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and soul. And that you will love your neighbors yourself. And so we go back to what were we designed for as people? We were designed for this relationship with God. And so however you describe this eternity of lostness, we're speaking about people who have lost the primary relationship that they are designed for. And they are desperate, they live desperate. Desperate to find something else that will fit the bill. Desperate to find something else that will appease the struggle inside. I was watching a YouTube video the other day. Um, I'm, I'm watching a series on, uh, on drug addicts in an interview with a, with a crack addict. And the guy talks about the struggle that he has and how his addiction takes over and how it runs his life and the aloneness and the way he destroys all the relationships around him. Interestingly enough, the same guy also speaks about these people that continue to love him. He he works at a job in um, the city of L.A., California. And he keeps not showing up for work. But he's got a boss, he says. My boss loves me. (laughs) And he says, I have not shown up for work over and over and over. And they've restructured my job so that every time I don't show up for work, they know what's happening to me but they love me. And he says, I love them. This boss of his is not letting him be alone. Again, you know, when we think about the lost, we think about that kind of a person. God has not abandoned the lost. The lost have abandoned God. And the lost often don't know, they don't even know that, and so they're searching for something. And God searches for them. So these are all hard statements. But you know, there's a promise. It starts, it starts back in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9.2 says this. For the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. We think about Luke chapter 2 where Jesus shows up and he declared... Um, where Jesus shows up. Where the angels come to the uh, shepherds on the hillside and they declare the good news of Jesus that night those shepherds saw a great light as the angels of heaven shone over them and sang over them and declared the good news. It says, those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. So how does God view the lost in light of that promise? Matthew 18, 11 says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. We see this passage repeated over and over and over again and so my Greek professor he always said that's that's emphasis we have to understand that God is not here to get rid of the lost just like we can't be here to get rid of the youth that break holes in our walls we are here If we have to adapt we got to adapt because those kids are worth more than any damage they may do right John 3.17 says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That is his purpose. Why? John 3.16, simply because he loves them. Luke 15 says again about this, this, this parable of the sheep. And he says, if the man has a hundred sheep and loses one of them and he leaves, uh, does he not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go look, after the one that, look for the one who was lost? And then when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. I tell you, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Those of us who are in relationship with God, we're safe. But there's this thrill that comes to the heart of God when he finds someone and brings them and they enter into the family for the first time and you know actually that's one of the things for us as a congregation you know one of the things that's so important to have a healthy and growing family anyone know what it is? it's adding babies you know what I mean? every time we added babies to our family oh my goodness and they they were like one after the other for a time Um, and they changed everything and they brought new joy and it kept our family growing. The day we stop adding lost people or stop seeking lost people is the day we step out of the will of God and the day we begin to die. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, there's that repetition. So the statement that this makes is that the purpose of God is to save the lost. So the reality, according to Romans three, you were lost, I was lost. Romans five says he showed his love for us, and now while well, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But we have been found. We are now in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and we're called now to join in the search for the lost, to give ourselves to Jesus in order to seek and save the lost. The you old know, Christ lives through us. We call it incarnational theology. Where Jesus uses us like a Jesus suit. I always call it a Jesus suit. And the prayer you get up with is, Dear Lord, here I am. Zip me up and wear me out of here for the rest of the day. That he would live through you to the lost. That's his purpose in us. Will you join in this purpose? When you join in this purpose, you will experience the fulfillment of Christ living through you. So this year, you know, I think about us here at Emmanuel. This year we will seek to save the lost. This year we will proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We will reach out and win people to Jesus. And we will deliberately equip ourselves for this purpose. You know, interestingly enough, that's actually one of the things we're doing Wednesday nights with our porn support group. There are lots of people out there struggling. And, and the way I've learned over the years is find a need and bring Jesus into it. What to expect? Well, I'm going to ask you to join me this year. So this is me personally saying to you as your pastor now. I'm going to ask you to commit to join me in this journey. What will it look like? Well, it's pretty simple. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 you already quoted it. We're going to love God with all that we are, which means we're also going to serve him with all that we are, which means everything that you have, this is the challenge for you and for me. Okay, Lord, everything I got, it's yours. And then we're going to love others. We're going to let Christ live through us. I remember being in the Holy Spirit seminar one time uh, here way back when, and there was this guy and he was speaking about how God uses us. He says, when God puts something on your heart for somebody, pray about it, and I want you to take the risk to share it with them. I'm looking at this guy, right? Later he became my friend. He wasn't sure about me at the beginning. Because I walked up to him and I said, I've been watching you all week, and I said, you're on my heart, and I think God wants you to be a pastor. I think that was Pastor Phil Gagnon who was here recently preaching to you and he actually shared that story. God wants you to be a pastor and he was flabbergasted. But it turned out that it was so. God wants to use us to speak into each other's lives. So I want you to commit to being equipped. I don't care what that commitment looks like. I don't, you know, For me, it comes down to how do you Learn what you need to learn to share Christ. A Bible study. A Bible study in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't want you to come to Bible study to prove to me that you're holy. I want you to come to a Bible study to be equipped. To receive what you need to receive. And if it's got to be a fancy Bible study, if it's got to be a Bible study, you know, I remember one time I had a guy, he goes, Yeah, well, he says, you know, I got a bunch of guys I'd like to bring to the Bible study. He says, but I can't get them to go to a church. He ran a welding shop. I said, "Good, we'll do a Bible study in a welding shop." So we did. I always remember <laughs> Alvin is the guy's name was Alvin, right? Well, guys got saved in that Bible study, and I remember him saying, "Okay, we're closing with prayer. Everybody holds hands." And we got this big ring of welders, all very uncomfortably holding hands because the boss said we're supposed to hold hands, and we prayed. You know. You come to a Bible study. You make the, not to perform, but to be equipped. Your lives are going to be changed. The second thing I want from you. I want you commit to commit to give to others. Pick a ministry. Give. When I started Spoken Word Ministries, um, uh, full time in Saskatoon, the first thing that I did was I said, Lord, what other ministry can I give to? There was a ministry down in the inner city in Saskatoon called The Bridge. And I went down there and I said to the the ministry person down there, the person who's now a friend of mine, um, her name's Linda. I said, Linda, what do you need? What can I do for you? She said, we need a Tuesday afternoon Bible study. I said, I'm your man. We'll do it. So we did a Tuesday Tuesday afternoon Bible study there for three years until they grew so much that they changed their structure and it was no longer needed and they moved on to something else. But I used to go down there and I would end up with a table with anywhere from 1 to 16 street people. And we did Bible study with each other. I remember one day I went down there and God had put on my heart to take 16 $20 bills. So that's what I did. And I said... I was doing a study on giving. I said, I want to give to each one of you 16 $20 bills. Now, these are street people. What are they going to do with the $20 bill? They could end up doing something fairly negative with the $20 bill. I was astounded. I stopped the whole Bible study. They looked around. Okay, who here has the. What, do you, what does anyone need? They dialogued with each other. What do you need? A bunch of them. Here put their $20 bills, gave it to the person that had rent come and due. A bunch of them gave their $20 bills, gave it to the bridge. Anyway, within about five minutes, they they got rid of all the $20 bills. It was all gone. And I'm like, and it had all gone for charity to help somebody, to bless somebody. It was amazing. What will you give? You know, it's not even up to you to say what you will give. It's only up to you to be willing because Jesus will come to you by the power of his Holy Spirit and he will put on your heart something to give again you know as I continued in this ministry I think about uh, I finished with uh, the inner city and the next ministry I went to was a ministry called Teen Challenge and I went to Teen Challenge I said what can I do well we need teaching I said I can teach so every Wednesday for how long I went out to Teen Challenge to teach Daniel came with me and we saw guys get saved. And we saw guys get set free from demonic influences. Many, many men over the years we saw get saved. And it was amazing how God provided everything. We just gave. Teen Challenge didn't pay us anything. We just gave. And it found that God gave to us what we needed to give to them. That's the calling. That I have for you today. So the question. Are you ready? This is what I want you to pray about this next week. Okay Lord. I'm going to commit to be equipped. You make that a priority. Okay Lord. I'm going to commit to give to others. If you'll tell me what I need to give. I will give it. And God will lead us on an adventure together. Let's pray. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you love the lost. We thank you for the reality that we can actually look at your word and discover what the lost are like, who they are, and the extreme need wrapped around their lives so that we can no longer be ambivalent about who they are. Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts, that you'll show us your love for the lost, Just as we love our children when they wander from us, Lord, so you love your children when they wander from you and you seek to save them. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, equip us. Show us who to give to. Lord, may this become the priority of our lives to rescue those who are lost in your name. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name.